him. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. It's a song that celebrates the cross of Jesus Christ. We are set free from the law of sin and death. That we're set free from uh, the guarantee that we will have nothing else other than death as a reward for our sins, as a consequence of the life that we've lived. But because of Jesus and our baptism into Him, we die into His death and we share in His resurrection. And so we are now free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And yet at the very same time, we have to be sure to remember that the call to a Christian life is not ultimately a call to freedom. It's not a call to do anything I want and everything I want now that Jesus Christ has set me free. It's not, in fact, a call to pursue uh, absolute liberty and freedom. And I think that's one of the myths that we really, as in, in our country, struggle with. I was visiting yesterday with a couple that's preparing to go uh, leave the United States where they've been doing ministry for a long time. They're going to be going to Spain to do ministry. And we were uh, do mission work there. We were talking to them about some of the differences between here and there. And they said, well, here, one of the key virtues that is a guiding principle for most people is the pursuit of freedom and liberty. And, and in, in Spain, they're more of an honor and shame culture. The sense of honor and duty drives much of how they think about what is ultimately good. In our country, we often think about it in terms of, of freedom. And yet the Christian walk should always push against ultimate freedom. You see, if you take freedom to its, its final and ultimate conclusion in the most extreme version, uh, it really leads towards anarchy. It leads towards the ability for every single person to do whatever they want, whenever they want to. Ultimate freedom inevitably leads to anarchy, which leads to chaos. There's no way to do that. And God is against anarchy and chaos. God is a God of order. And so the Christian life has always been a call to submission, to obedience, to being a servant, to choosing a good master, to recognizing that God is king. It's a very different way of living than ultimate and absolute freedom. The cross sets us free, but it calls us to freely then choose to make Jesus Lord and master of our lives. So the first act that we make as Christians with our freedom is to give it away. You know, in... Israel's history, and, and we're looking right now at the book of Deuteronomy and Moses' farewell address as we kind of begin looking at last week. And Moses has these three sermons that he gives at the end of his uh, time as leader over Israel, that he's led them out of Egypt and across the wilderness and to the very banks of the Jordan River. And it's there that his leadership ends that he is told that he is not to go into the promised land with the people that he has been leading, but he will send them forth under Joshua's leadership, and that he will go up on a mountain and be able to look over into the promised land, but like Dennis in the Air Force Academy, he will not enter. 
This is as far as he goes. And so Moses comes in Deuteronomy and he looks at his legacy of the past, of all he experienced with Israel and with God and the one who mediated between them and the giving of the law and the things that they experienced and the times they were faithful and the times that they weren't. And he goes into all of that history and he brings it into these three sermons. And you could just feel him saying, as you go forward, please don't forget these things. These important things. Last week and this week, we've been in this sermon that's really in Deuteronomy 3 and 4. And last week, we kind of introed it. And this week, we're going to look more at this call that Moses has for Israel. Last week, we talked about the reality that God is in charge. Whether you realize it or not, God is king and he is in charge. And the sooner you're able to orient your life to reflect that God is in charge, the better your life will be. The longer you're convinced that you're in charge or that if you listen to someone else who you think is in charge and you're following their leadership instead of God's, the longer it's going to take for you to get the firm foundation you need to weather life's storms. But when you recognize that God is king... You have to do what we're going to talk about today, which is learn how to stay close to God. Learn how to stay close to the one who is king, to serve him as if you realize that he's king and you're not, and that you begin to order your life around that. But what does that actually look like? Well, Israel was actually figuring that out live and in person in the events that Moses is preaching about in the book of Deuteronomy. And you can imagine as Israel is set free from Egypt and out of Pharaoh's rule and as they move into the wilderness across the Red Sea and as they go into all of these different historical moments that Moses guides them through, they're finally free. And yet if you asked them, now that you are free, where will you go? And their answer would have been, wherever God tells us, sends us, or leads us. Huh. That doesn't sound like freedom, does it? If you'd ask them, Israel, what are you going to do now that you're free and Pharaoh doesn't tell you what to do all the time? And they would say, now that we're free, we're going to live the way God tells us to live and obey the teachings and words and commands and laws that God gives us. And you start to realize that for Israel, what they're doing is they are moving out from under Pharaoh's control and willingly into God's control. And it's not done by oppression and it's not done by force. The reality is that when Moses goes up on the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments and brings them down, what he has is essentially a proposal to Israel. Will you be my people and let me be your God? It's a covenant. I have obligations and responsibilities to you. You have obligations and responsibilities to me. We believe that it will be mutually beneficial and that the world will, in fact, be blessed by this arrangement. But you have to choose to do so. The rest of the Old Testament is the working out of that covenant relationship. And while it might make us uncomfortable to think of God replacing Pharaoh as the one who is master with the people who are under him, the people chose God willingly. Because they believed that God was a good king who was already in charge, whether they were with him or not. And so if God is in charge, all you have to choose is not whether he's in charge or not, but whether you're in the kingdom with the greatest being in all of creation or whether you're with someone else. There is 
no other choice that doesn't ultimately lead to anarchy, that doesn't ultimately lead to people doing what they want and not having any allegiance to anyone because only God exists and is in charge. God's king, will you agree to submit to his reign? So if God is against chaos, anarchy, and ultimate freedom, then the question has to be asked, who then should lead? It's a question that our country asks every two years in some ways, but in a big way every four years. Who will lead us? And we actually get to go and choose who will be our leaders regularly in this country. It's one of the greatest privileges we have to choose to regularly overthrow our government peacefully by the power of the ballot. Who will lead us? Israel was asking the question in the wilderness, who will we follow? Who will be our ruler? Who will tell us how to live and order our lives and our communities? In the days of Moses, there was one answer to that question that led to life, and that answer was God. If we follow God, we will be blessed. If we follow anyone else, we'll die in the wilderness. And so those who come to the edge of the Jordan River and who are listening to Moses' sermons that are found in Deuteronomy have come to learn that there is only one who is in charge and who can lead, and it is God. And I can't help but think that when Christians order their lives today, that that should still be true. That if there's one who we should follow, if there's one whose rules we should adhere to, one whose teachings we should learn and, and let them be written on our hearts, that it should be God. That our lives are best when we recognize that God is king and then we choose to stay close to him. And so in the second part of this sermon in Deuteronomy 3 and verse 4, what you're going to see is that Moses is calling the people, as you go forward into this promised land without me, stay close to God. And there's two ways for Moses that you do that. Way number one is obedience. And way number two is relationship. How do we stay close to God? Obedience and relationship. All right, I know you've got masks. Let's see if I can hear you. How do you stay close to God? It's obedience and relationship. It's two steps that were true then, and they were true in the time of Jesus, and they are true today. That if you want to stay close to the king, you do so by obeying his good commands and teachings and laws. And you do it by not just following the rules, but by loving the king by giving him your heart, by having a genuine relationship with God. When you think about covenants and how you live within them, today you can't help but think of marriage. Marriage being the, the biggest, longest-lasting covenant that most of us will enter into in our earthly lives. And as we think about marriage, and you take these two ideas about what it means uh, to stay close to God of obedience and relationship, you can imagine a marriage that is really, really good, 
when you have a spouse who obeys all of your instructions and they help out around the house with all of the chores and they contribute to the family's finances and they spend within the budget and they help with the raising of the kids and they even have a regular time that every week you go out on a date and when you're on the date you talk and you cover all of the things that are going on in your lives but as much as they go through all the motions and check off every box on the be a good spouse checklist, you know that they don't actually love you. You know that they're really only going through the motions. You know that in reality, you've never connected with one another in a very relational and emotional way that reveals that, that you have a genuine, vulnerable long-lasting, life-changing relationship. You don't have that. You've got all the obedience, but none of the relationship. Or imagine a marriage that's the opposite, that you just really love each other. You're connected. You're able to talk. You're able to know each other's innermost selves and to adore that person at the most inner level, that, that, that you are connected with them and you both know it and other people see it and, and they're like, man, those two people love each other. It's just clear. You can see it in their eyes and the way they talk about each other and the way that they communicate with one another. And, and just, it's incredible. But at the same time, one of the spouses does whatever they want all the time. They don't follow any of the rules and expectations that generally come with marriage. If it feels good and you want to do it, you just go do it. You, if you don't want to do it, you don't. Uh, honey, will you take out the trash? No thanks, but I love you. Well, that marriage has got some problems too, doesn't it? And all too often, when, when it comes to people having a, re, a covenant relationship with God, we fall into one of those two extremes. We're all about the, the relationship with God, and we love how much He loves us, and we love the grace that He offers, but we just have, don't, any, have, don't have any interest in living God's way and following His commands and living under His law. Or perhaps it's the other way, where we are all about the rules and the attendance and the check marks, uh, but do we ever talk to God? Do we ever really seek to have a relationship with Him or allow Him to have a relationship with us? Or are we just kind of saying, God, I'll do this stuff, but just... Leave me alone. I'm busy doing your stuff. Moses, Deuteronomy, points out that if you want to stay close to the king, then you do it with obedience and relationship, not one or the other. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, towards the end of the book, he writes talking about this. He says, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. And I love this imagery that Moses has to begin this passage. He says, I'm not telling you something that's hard to get. It's not so hard that you have to go to heaven and get this mystery. You don't have to cross the ocean to get it and bring it back. You don't need some great messenger to reveal to you what is in front of you right now. And then he gives them that which is accessible and not hidden. Here it is. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. God's word is near you so that you might be obedient. 
obedient. See, I set it before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His demands and creeds and laws. Love the Lord. Obey and love. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So we have it there again, and you'll say it with me. Staying close to God means obedience and relationship. Two parts to one thing. I told you last week that if you want to know what's important to Moses, you'll find his sermons, and you'll go through and you'll see what he says over and over and over and over and over again. He's not trying to hide anything. He wants it all laid bare. He wants it to be completely obvious to anyone who asks, what do we need to know, Moses, as we go into the land without you? And so in Deuteronomy chapter 4, as he wraps up his first of the three sermons, here's what he keeps talking about. On three occasions in chapter 4, he talks about the commandments. The commandments that God has given, that not only the Ten Commandments, but all the commandments that are wrapped around it. That God gives the people commands that they're expected to follow. On four occasions, he talks about the statutes of God. The specific rules and regulations that are there, but at the same time, it's just another word that means the same thing. He talks about the judgments that God has. The judgments that he pronounces where he says, if you don't follow these rules, there's consequences for those things. But the statutes and the commandments have those as well. And then finally, in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 8, he talks about the law. Do you get the idea that Moses cares a lot about the rules and people following them? Because he's yelling at you. Follow the rules that God gives you. Obey the commands. Live according to the law. God has given you his word. It's right in front of you. Will you just obey it? Will you just live God's way? Because if you do, He's going to take care of you and He's going to bless you. But don't just follow it because, because it's the rule book. Follow it because you have a relationship with Him. You love Him. He loves you. He went to Egypt to get you out of there so that you could stop living under Pharaoh's reign and you could begin living under His because He loves you. And he's giving you these rules, not because he wants to be the new Pharaoh in your world, but because he wants to give you a better way to live, to make you his community in the world, that the world will see you and go, oh, what a great nation. With such teachings and laws and decrees that their God lives with them and among them, and they're greater than all the other nations because they have the good rules of a good king. Wouldn't that be something if the world looked at Christians today? said, man, they live like people that follow the good rules of a good king. And, and no other nation or people in the world or the history of, of religion or anything else has ever claimed to be so close to their God as the Christians who claim that by the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that by being baptized into him, that the spirit of God dwells within them and orders their lives to be obedient to him. There's never been a people as great as they are. Wouldn't that be something? Over and over again, Moses preaches. There's a direct connection between following the commandments and laws of God and living well and having a long and healthy life. Because God's laws are good. And they give you a way of living among other people living like you that will be a blessing to you. 
And God desires for this to be a special covenant with Israel. God's plan and intention is that from the time that he offers them the law at the mountain where Moses goes up to get it, and he brings it down to them, and he's shattered to see that the people are already rebelling against him, violating the first commands that there's one God, and they should love him and worship him only and not worship idols. And here they are doing all of that and violating at least four other commands at the same time. God wants this covenant with Israel. So he brings discipline to that moment, but at the same time he brings grace and mercy, and he continues to go forward trying to put this this people with their God through covenant. So three times in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses talks about being in covenant with Israel. He talks about how uh, in verse 13, he declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. In verse 23, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. And then in verse 31, repeating what's important. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. God's in a relationship through covenant with the people. And it's rooted in obedience, but the goal is relationship. That they might be God's people and he might be their God. And I want to give you quickly the the seven ways that you stay close to the Lord that really come out in this sermon that's in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and 4. We don't have time to go through all of it, but the seven ways that you stay close to the Lord. You stay close to the Lord by following what you have heard from the Lord and not what you see in the land. And I actually love this, that that for Moses as he describes what the people have seen and, and, and how they've interacted with God, he repeatedly says, you've heard God but you've never seen his form. You've heard the, Lord, the words of the Lord, but you haven't seen God. You've seen the works that he has produced. You've noticed the difference he's made in your life. You saw what he did in Egypt and in the wilderness and how he's delivered you from time after time. You've seen what God produces, the pillar of fire that was there in front of you and that guided you. You saw that he could produce that, but you've never seen God, Moses says. But you've heard his word. You've been presented with his teachings. His word is close to you. And so if you see something in the land that is visible, it's not God. But if you hear a word from the Lord that is good, follow his commands. And one of the reasons I love this is because that is every advantage that you and I have. We have not seen the form of God, but we've seen what God has done. We have not seen the image of God, but we've heard his commands. We've read his word. It is before us and immediately in our presence waiting to see if we'll just obey. Sometimes we think that Israel got to see all these things and and we think, man, if I could have just been there to see God like they did. They didn't see God. They just saw what God did. Don's prayer this morning, he began by praying for CD that we've been praying that he would get healthy and be home. He's home. Prayed for Beth. She's had a successful surgery. Prayed for Marcellus. He's going to ready to meet with a surgeon that several months ago seemed so far off. That prayer is being answered. All the people that, that Don mentioned in his prayer are answered prayers. Archie is home and is growing and thriving. 
Have we seen what God does in our world? Yes. Have we seen his form? No. But is his word present and available to us so that we might follow it every single day? You don't follow what you see in the land. You follow what you have heard from the Lord. You stay close to God in the land through obedience. Obedience maintains the relationship between God and Israel. It is when we follow God's laws and rules that we become like His people and get shaped in the image of His very character. And it's what allows us to be in the covenant relationship with Him. The connection between covenant and obedience and relationship is all through this sermon. We stay close to God because God is near and cares enough to instruct. God is near through his teaching. Moses wants the people to know, as you go into this land without me, don't think that God doesn't go with you. Because even if you don't see his form, his teaching goes with you. And he's always present in his teaching. He's always present in his teaching. You stay close to God by keeping the first two commandments which put together essentially boil down to you remain loyal to one God. Loyalty to one God is the core of a covenant faith with God. You stay close to God because the relationship with the Lord and Israel is unique. And that relationship causes life to go well and draws the watching world toward God. If that was true for God and Israel when God was simply in their midst, how much more true is it for us who have God's Spirit dwelling inside us and among us? That the world might see us living with God within us, living as Jesus in the body of Christ in the world, and be drawn to God through the way that we live. So we stay close to God. We stay close to God because he holds grace and obedience, which so often in the Bible seems so far apart. God holds them intimately close together. And he has the ability to do that like no other person or God or being ever could is Moses' sermon. God is a God of tension, and there's a number of words in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that seem to not belong together, but in God they come together and God holds them in tension so that you must be obedient to God and resist disobedience. You must remember God and not forget, because you must worship the Lord which you hear and not the idols which you see. And there's all of these tensions in this sermon as Moses is pointing out that, that the complexity of God is, is real, but it actually makes him greater, not less. You saw the light at Horeb in the midst of the darkness, a time that things did not seem to be going well. God was the light while the darkness was all around him. You're aware of the compassion of the Lord and yet also know of the jealousy of the Lord. God does not want you worshiping or loving idols. He does want you worshiping and loving him. And destruction will come to those who worship idols, but compassion and mercy will bring them back. For God, these complex tensions are held together all the time. And if God can do that, then he is worthy of being king, and we should stay close to him because there is no other God. He is in charge. Whether you admit it or not, God is king. 
The only question is, will you order your life around that king and then stay close to him through what? Obedience and relationship. Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 7. He gives a teaching that feels hard. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. You get the idea that Jesus understands Moses' sermon, that Jesus knows his father's desires for his people. And what Jesus tells the people is, calling on my name is not enough. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. It's not just about actions. It's about the heart. It's not just about obedience. It's about a relationship. It's not just about checking off all the boxes. It's about knowing me and loving me and my Father who sent me. Yeah, I want the obedience, but it's got to be wrapped in relationship. That's how covenant works. Yeah, I want the relationship, but it's got to be matched with obedience. That's how covenant works. We come to God through the power and beauty and promise of covenant in the same way that a husband and wife come together and form a family. Obedience and relationship, commitment and love paired together create the bond that God calls his people to. God is king. If you want to be his people, you do it with obedience and relationship. What I want to call you to do today is this week to do an audit of your life and say, how am I doing when it comes to obedience of God's law and teachings and commands? And how am I doing when it comes to knowing him and loving him? And if there's one of those that needs more work than the other, then give that one your attention this week. If you've got to where you have not been in relationship with God and you're not sure how to rebuild it, then start reading Psalms. And just at the end of every Psalm, you just take it right into a prayer. And you fake it until those words begin to become yours. And and you start praying to God the words that are written there will start becoming your own words. And you'll start opening your heart to God in a way that maybe you haven't in a while. And if your problem is obedience, then you need to find another brother or sister in Christ that you can go to and say, I'm struggling in this area of obedience to God's good way of living. Can you help me get my life right? Those are just a couple of ways. There's many others. But whatever you need to do to get back into a right relationship with God through obedience and commitment with your heart, don't let one of those be neglected. Because it doesn't just make a miserable marriage. God desires so much more. This morning, if you need to respond to that or to anything else, please come forward as we stand and worship together.